And we're live. Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Cup of Nurses, episode 108. We're going to talk about some great, a great topic here. It's going to be perfect for nursing students, anybody that needs a refresher in some potential labs and things like that. But before that, we're going to have some wine here. We got Snoopy Dog's wine. Pop it open, dog. And remember, 4.30, we're going to launch something great for you guys. It's going to be some cool, mindful and wellness material for everybody's listening out there. About consciousness. Mm. It's going to be great. Hope you guys are going to enjoy it. We're going to start this whole new movement for, you know, I don't, I, want to, I don't want to say for who because I don't want to spoil it. But it's going to be for the greater public and for the greater good. A lot of stuff going on in this world. And a lot of times we forget to be present in the moment. We kind of forget, forget to get in tune with us. We lose touch with ourselves. And we want to kind of ground everybody back into being who they want to be. And I want to encourage everybody to pursue their happinesses and their career goals and life goals. And we just want everybody to be well and happy. Yeah. And before we start the show, uh, thank you for listening. Those that are new, welcome. You guys are going to have a great time. Those that are coming back, always listening. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. We actually made it to the top 25 podcasts on um, rntbsn.com. So cool. That was awesome. That was a cool little achievement for this uh Friday morning that you know the time we're recording at. Yeah, I'm not sure how that gets ranked, but you know we're on it. And we happen to be number one on the list. You know, initially we thought we're number one overall, but it was alphabetical order. But still, we're still number one up there. So it's actually pretty cool. It's actually I'm glad we named our podcast "Couple Nurses" because when we get listed in alphabetical order, like C is the third letter in the alphabet, so we're always going to be on top. And a lot of times people don't scroll to the bottom of the list. So we're up there, bro. People get recognition. I, I think we're number one. If now we're slowly coming there, man. So we're sure number one. And and I just wanted to say that we don't have any ads. We're not playing any ads. We're not slipping any advertisements in. So actually, low key, we're slipping one in right now. Whoever's watching us on YouTube, we have our NCLEX study ad right in front of us. Since we're gonna talk about labs, we decided to do a little shameless plug of the NCLEX study ad right there in front of us. If you guys don't know where to find it, hit us up. Just check out our website, couplenurses.com. It's over there. And last thing, if you guys like this podcast and find value in it, please give it a share. Share with your friends. That's how we grow, and that's how we get motivated to keep on producing high-quality content. Yes, sir. So we're going to talk about, Pete. So we're going to talk about the nine most important lab values that every nurse should pay attention to every morning or afternoon or depending on on when you draw your labs. This is a good episode for all you student nurses out there, all you new grad nurses out there. And, you know, it's a nice refresher for all nurses in general. And if you're like a med surgeon nurse trying to step up and go to ICU, this is going to be a very informative for you because in the ICU every morning you get a list of labs and we make sure everything's accounted for. We you know dot our I's, cross our T's. Every lab's got to be within a good, good, good um, what do you what do you call range? Good yeah, good range, solid dude. Range mean, medium, mode range. Exactly. Got to be in a good range because every electrolyte imbalance might make the patient a little bit worse. And then these little issues, they can stem into one big problem, especially with these top ones like potassium, magnesium, and these major electrolytes that are going to go through. Agreed. Have a sip of wine, bro. I did. Okay, great. Tastes good, right? Yeah, I'll have another one. So the reason why electrolytes are such an important and vital thing in the hospital and everything, like they literally manage homeostasis. Like they regulate the myocardium, neurological function, like fluid balance, oxygen oxygen delivery, like acid-base balance, like the list keeps on going. And they're mostly important for all of our nerve cells and all of our muscle cells and heart cells because 
you need electrolytes to maintain voltage across the cell membrane. That's what carries the electrical impulse to your nerve impulses, to your muscles so they could contract. Like they're across every single cell. And fluid shift shit happens in the hospital and there's always issues and we're always trying to chase lights. Like it's such a major thing. Right. And we don't only look at lights. We look at the whole CBC. So you want to know where your white blood cells are, where your red blood cells are, your hemoglobin. You also look at your liver enzymes, your kidney function. There's lots lots to pay attention to. And it's very convenient for for us nowadays as nurses to have all this information presented to us every morning. Yeah. At one point, nurses didn't have this kind of these kind of values presented in this kind of manner because every morning you have a list of labs for y'all for you guys that aren't nurses that you never looked at, like the like the results review section of of, of a MAR or anything, or not of a MAR but of a patient chart. It's literally it's like a spreadsheet just with labs, lab values. It's clutch. Yeah. And uh, usually nights draws them, days kind of looks at them, they troubleshoot them. We like replace usually in the morning around the clock. So I think the hospital has an interesting setting when it comes to light. So let's start with the first one. We have potassium, which is a range in adults 3.5 to 5.2. Children 3.4 to 4.7 if you're in peds. Uh, very important um, electrolyte. Everything has to do with the heart, especially having cardiac patients. We're always trying to have a, like a potassium above four, right? Mm. Um, it aids in uh, nerve function and muscular um, contraction and also helps like the heart beat stay regular. And usually when, you know, you have like, the, especially with the kidney patients, we always see like T waves sometimes, right? There's going to PVCs, PACs. Yeah, peak T waves and stuff like that. So yeah, so we use potassium to assess like acidosis. Someone's acid out of their potassium is usually high. And then we need to push that potassium from from the outside into the cell to lower the pH. Let's just... It shows us AKI, CKD, dehydration, and if certain therapeutic interventions are actually working. So some of the signs and symptoms uh, you might see with like hyperkalemia, which is a potassium over 5.2, muscle weakness, nausea, vomiting, heart palpitations, cardiac dysrhythmias, like people going to VTEC, VFib yeah. with, with these kind of issues. You're going to see peak T waves, PR prolongation, and even loosened P waves. You know, you might have a missing P wave here and there. Uh, how we treat it, IV glucose and insulin, that, like I said, pushes the potassium back into the cell. And then we give the glucose. Insulin is the one that actually is pushing the potassium inside the cell. Yes. And we give glucose because if you're giving insulin, your sugar's going to drop. So we got to back that up because insulin's great to push potassium in the cell, but then it also fights off your, your, your blood sugars, right? So you got to counteract that with the glucose. Uh, sodium, bicarb, we're going to give diuretics, caxlate. And dialysis, calculate kind of sucks because it makes gives them diarrhea. The patient poop so much. Yeah, and I, and I hate that because there was uh, in Chicago there was one physician that always would give calculate for high potassium, you know, and and I hated that because I knew if that attending was on was was on call and it's a high potassium, he's not going to go any other route besides calculate first, and that you, doesn't work. You just didn't want to give any regular insulin. Huh? Yeah, but the thing is, calculate takes some time to work, you know. So if someone's like you know the potassium of like six, you know, or like five point five, or like you know five point eight, and not in the high range. It's kind of scary. It's kind of nerve-wracking because, you know, they're going to – you don't know what's going to happen. Like, they might go VTAC in this scary situation. Right. And usually in the hospital, like, you're just going to treat the underlying cause. So if you have a high K and you don't want to mess with, you know, insulin and stuff, maybe you're just going to do the dialysis and try to bring it down instead mm -hmm. of, like, there's no point of pushing insulin and, you know, uh, what is it called? G giving D, uh, D10 or D50 if the patient's going to um, just need dialysis mm -hmm. or something. And also nursing considerations – Usually, uh, potassium comes in like what ten MEQs and hundred if you're giving it. Yeah, we give. See, the thing is, in, in Chicago, we got twenty and forty bags. Yeah, and I was also gonna say, if you're doing twenty, uh, the higher concentration has to be in a central line, which is usually just um, mm -hmm. ICU. Yeah. So for hypokalemia, it's potassium less than three point five. 
Some of the things you might see in a hypoclinic patient is going to be mainly shallow respirations, confusion, decreased deep tendon reflexes. That's the one where you hit the little hammer on the elbow or on the knee. They're going to have loss of bowel function and DKG strips. You might see a depressed ST wave, a flatter inverted T waves, and you're going to see that special U wave that's indicative of hypokalemia. Like Matt said, how we're going to treat it is IV potassium or PO if they if they can. You're going to hold the diuretics and you're going to also hold DIG because if you have hypo, if you're hypoclemic, you're at a higher risk for DIG toxicity. Damn, dude, you probably got that from those one of those questions to do for the travel contract, right? I actually did. Yeah, good reminder, did, bro. Dude. That's where I got that one from. Like, how'd you know that, man? Uh-huh. I'm like, yes, this is how. Um, some considerations when you're giving Lasix, like, stay on top of your um, potassium. That's like one. That's one thing I hate is that like when. Potassium doesn't get checked at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gets delayed or, you know, you're pushing Lasix throughout the shift. No one, you know, thinks about checking a K or following up. and right. Hey, let's get a, you know, let's get a BMP. Yeah. They check it at 3 a.m. Sometimes it's like 2 point something, 3.1. And we're always trying to play catch up instead of like staying on top of them. Yeah, it's scary because like Matt said, people have ordered like IV push Lasix Q4 hours, Q6 hours. And then especially on night shift, I, I come on in on night shift and I see that, hey, this guy's been getting Lasix Q4 and they haven't checked their lights, you know, since eight o'clock in the morning or since I checked them last night, you know, so there's no labs since four o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, holy shit. I'm like, did you, did you guys spot check them? No. I'm like, all right, well, then I'm probably need, that's probably the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to throw some labs under a physician. I'm not even going to call him. I'm going to throw it under him, get the spot check and then call him back. Like, hey, I threw a lab order under you yeah. because if it's been 12 hours and 12 hours plus, if I drew my labs early at four o'clock, it's been, you know, more than 12 hours since you last checked his lights and you already got three doses of Lasix. Right. Especially if you have a patient on telly, like you start seeing like there's like inconsistency in like heartbeat or mm-hmm. throwing some PACs, PVCs, like, yeah, let's check the freaking lights, man. So just like do your due diligent, uh, diligence, I'm sorry, and like use your common sense or critical thinking to see what you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Just like um, giving blood, right? Um, a couple of days ago, I gave, I gave blood, a unit of blood for hemoglobin of 8.8, correct? Uh, the reason why I'm giving blood is not necessarily for anemia. I'm giving it so you could get off pressors because he was a little bit low. Mm-hmm. Am I going to check a CBC in uh, one hour, a couple hours, Q4? Probably not because we're not giving it for anemia. Yeah. Another patient, if it's like 5.9 you give a unit or two, you might want to follow up to see if it's above 7. So yeah. just, you know, use sometimes doctors don't put it in, but just think about those things critically and that's what like makes you sometimes a good nurse or a bad nurse. They'll separate you. Yeah, sometimes you give blood just for volume. You know, LB doesn't always do, do the trick. And if someone's, you know, borderline uh, low hemoglobin or borderline anemic and he's hypotensive, maybe he just needs actually, you know, blood. And yeah. that's what my, like you said, get him out of the pressure. Yeah, my, my patient was on dopamine, just low dose. Uh, that's going to help his cardiac output. So, yes, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that made all the difference, actually. Right. He went down from like eight to four mics. Yeah, there you go. Business, you know, step in the right direction. Electrolyte number two on here, or lab number two, is going to be magnesium. A uh, good range for magnesium is 1.8 to 2.5. Ideally, we like it in like the twos. Uh, magnesium plays a role in nerve function, transferring and storing energy, regulating the parathyroid hormone, which is also called PTH, and it plays a role in calcium levels. Your PTH plays a role in your phosphorus and your calcium and your bone density and, and all that. For hypermagnesiumia, is above 2.5, right? So what you're going to see is lethargy, hypotension, respiratory rest, possibly diminished deep tendon reflexes. Once again, that's the one with the take a hammer, hit it on your elbow or hit it on the knee. You know, we're supposed to respond appropriately. You have prolonged PR and QT waves and you have a widened QRS. And treatment for this, IV calcium, diuretics, and dialysis. You know, when you have high electrolytes, you got to get them out of your body. And the best way to get them out of your body is literally to pee them out. 
And IV calcium, it has an inverse relationship with, with mag, so that's why they, they give that. Yep. And then hypomagnesium is um, with a mag less than 1.8. Signs and symptoms could be hypertension. You might be irritable, hyperreflexia, involuntary movements. And those patients, when it gets low, you might have um, problems with your QRS. You go into dorsades, right? Scary. Scary. And usually treatment for that is you just give mag two grams, right? Mm. So that's, um, yeah, mag sulfate, the mag oxide are the treatments for that. Yeah, mag oxide is the PO1. Mag sulfate is is uh, the IV. I rarely give that mag, mag oxide. Usually, I don't know, people are more prone to order magnesium IV than potassium. Potassium is kind of still, um, is vasotoxic. But magnesium is a little bit too, but not as much as as um, the potassium. Yeah, not to mention sometimes you might be giving mag for diarrhea. So that's like after you're using your colace and your Ducalax and your stool softeners aren't working, sometimes you're going to give magnesium citrate to get the bowel going. So just your patient can have a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. Next one is sodium, uh, 135 to 145. Uh, sodium is probably the very, very important ones. We kind of like get worried about it and fearful because of like the American Standard Diet. We always talk about sodium. It's bad. But you could have overload of water and uh, like diuresis yourself, not diuresis, um, over f- fluid yourself. I had a patient um, that his K, or I'm sorry, his um, sodium fell too low because he kept giving himself boluses through the um, G tube yeah. of water, and his um, his um, sodium went under like 129. He became weak. Yeah, then I call it hypervolemic, um, hypervolemic hyponatremia. Yes, yeah. just from doing that. So important electrolyte, even though we. Sp- you know, should be monitoring it when it comes to our diet. Mm. Nerve impulses, intracellular osmolarity, and promotes myocardial smooth and skeletal contractility. So important electrolyte, if you're above 145, which is hypernatremia, you might become restless, agitated, um, have some fluid retention because water follows sodium, edema, and decrease urine output. The way you treat it is usually give um, hypotonic um, solution. You run it slow, because you could run uh, the risk of having a brain, um, the fluids shift in the brain, correct? When it comes to the intracellular fluid. You get a seizure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to, hi- see, like hypernatremia, like we don't have it often. Usually, not very often. Yeah, not very often. And usually, like if the patients are in the ICU, that's we have hypernatremia, we usually just give like fluid boluses. Yeah. I'm sorry, free water flushes yeah. with the um, NG tube, like 300 Q4 shift or something like that usually. Mm. Usually when somebody has severe dehydration, that's usually how they become hypernutrimic. Yeah, and it's usually easy to replace because, I mean, with COVID, we haven't been doing it as much because everybody's they want to keep them dry. Mm. But we just give a bolus sometimes, like right. 250, 500. Actually, no, you can't give 0.9 boluses, bro, because you, you, wanna, you would increase sodium. Yeah, because this great, is... Great, great catch. I almost gave you know, bad advice yeah. on the podcast. You know, isotonic or hypotonic solution. Hypotonic, yeah. that's right. Mm. So for a hyponatremia, exact opposite. It's a sodium less than 135. This is the scary one. This is the one you're going to see more often than, than hypernatremia is. You, if someone is hyponatremic, they're going to might have seizures, stupor, confusion, orthostatic hypotension, spasms, and cramping is another major one. But the seizure is the one that we really got to watch out for. So the treatment for this, if they're having hypovolemic hyponatremia, you want to give IV sodium chloride. You want to restore the fluids properly. You can also give hypertonic solutions, but they don't do that very often, like 3% saline. They usually just give 0.9. And then if it's hypervolemic hyponatremia, that's the one that we, that we talked about. Yes. No, we had to talk about hypo. We had a flip. We talked about hypovolemic hypernutremia. This hypo. one is hypervolemic hyponatremia. What we're going to do is restrict the fluid intake, give diuretics. You want to you have your kidneys excrete all the extra fluid. 
just to help concentrate the, the, the urine so it'll bump up your sodium. And then, of course, last resort is always dialysis. Yeah. And, and these patients, I feel the, the worst for them, especially if they're learning-oriented, because not only are you restricting your fluids, like maybe like 1,200 cc's a shift, but then sometimes they have salt tablets, dude. Mm. Their, their mouth is so dry. I always feel so bad for them. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, we, we say be careful for dehydration, but sometimes we have to dehydrate patients to get them into like equilibrium. We have to yes. dehydrate them. And then once they're, they're rehydrated, or sorry, once they're dehydrated, then we could rehydrate them back up, just, but just incrementally making sure that all electrolyte levels are appropriate, you know, because we gotta, we gotta stabilize before we kind of do anything further, right? Yeah, electrolytes are freaking key for everything. And yeah. also neuro patients, like your neurologist will also order like strict um, sodium, like 135 to 145, they're gonna want that range. Depends on like what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think neuro uses sodium a lot. Um, even dialysis patients too. Mm -hmm. And like, same thing, like back to my patient, the one that was, um, had low sodium, he had, um, hypotension as well. So it could have been just all related. I mean, he had pneumonia and TB, so that kind of like plays it, you know, extra part into it, but he could have been hypotensive as well from hyponatremia. There you go, see? Yeah. Learning on the podcast too, man. Guess, <laughs> calcium. So calcium range 8.6 to 10.3. It actually helps regulate cardiac, smooth muscle, skeletal muscle contractility, impulse transmission and it actually automates the heart the cardiac cells and the contractility of it if you have hypercalcemia you have a k of, or i'm sorry you have a calcium of 10.3 it causes muscle weakness disorientation you might have absent reflexes and potentially develop kidney stones uh, when it comes to the ekg you might have like short and acute intervals when it comes to treatment calcitonin some fluid, some loop diuretics. You want to flush the extra K, uh, calcium, IV um, biphosphates, and dialysis, of course. Yeah. So with phosphorus and calcium, they're inversely proportioned. So one goes in, one comes out. So for hypokalemia, you're going to have a calcium of less than 8.6. You said hypokalemia, bro. Hypocalcemia. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're freaking slurring the words here, man. Dude, that there's wine so is hard, huh? There's so many electrolytes. Sorry, damn, guys. Damn, Snoop Dogg. This freaking wine's good. It's good, man. It's legit right here, guys. Shameless plug over here. Did you guys try this wine? I'm not a big wine person, but this is this is tasty. Not gonna lie, it's very smooth, very very fruity. So for hypocalcemia, it's a calcium less than 8.6. Patient is gonna exhibit confusion, hyperactive reflexes, muscle spasms. Positive. I always butchered this this word. Positive trosses, um signs. That's the one where you blow, blow pressure cuff and you wait three minutes. And if the arm contracts, it's positive. And then the other one that I always mess up. Trophostic sign, which is a contract uh, contraction of facial muscles provoked by light tapping over the facial nerve anterior to the to the ear as it crosses the zygomatic arc. So I always butcher those words, but I don't. I mean, I don't do that very often. I do the the one with blood pressure cuff more often than the than the trophostic. But you know, hypocalcemia not not that very prevalent. Yeah, I, I see. Not uh, so we do have hypocalcemia. In a hospital, but it seems to never get low enough for anybody to exhibit these signs, at least in our ICU, but it's majority uh, cardiac, but it's whatever. So how would you treat it? IV calcium chloride or just calcium gluconate? I haven't had anybody, you know, had, that ha has ever had serious adverse reaction from a low calcium on a personal exactly. level. Exactly. And pl yeah. plus in the ICU, we actually look at ionized calcium more often. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's actually calcium that's free circulating in your blood that's not attached to protein. Um, supposedly, the studies are suggesting that using ionized calcium is more superior to identifying like distur the distributions in patients that are, that's a, that are receiving like 
blood product uh, blood products and they're like in um, CKD and stuff like that. Mm. So in the ICU, sometimes we'll give calcium gluconate based on a cal- ionized calcium level. And sometimes we get them just from the ABGs. Yeah. I haven't done ionized calcium until uh, LA. We do look at regular calcium back in my prior hospitals. Always, yeah. I'm not sure what they look at at our hospital now. You know if they look at ionized or regular? I think they just look at regular. Um, I, I actually haven't had a... I mean, it's only been our second day. Yeah. By the way, guys, we have a... We were on day shift. We didn't even mention that. Mm. Day shift has been interesting. Um, but I have... Yeah, I didn't even get to it. Because yeah. when I checked ionized calcium, it shows up on ABG. So it was normal for me. I never questioned it, but I wonder if they actually look at it. When I, on, on the regular, like the CBC and uh, and like the CMP that we draw and the liver enzymes, like it just says calcium on it. I didn't see the ionized okay. for both days that it worked. And they drew an uh, ABG as well? They Oh, well, the ABG, I never really look at the calcium in the ABG, to be honest. Okay. So I can't really tell you. I mean, I haven't checked. My patient did have an ABG drawn, but I didn't look at the calcium. Okay, interesting. Well, so phosphorus, um, level 2.8 to 4.5. Um, most times that I replace phosphorus is in, you know, critical settings and mostly in, on CRTs. Whenever we have patients on CRTs, all the electrolytes are getting replaced usually through the, the bags, except for phos. And usually we're replacing them. Um, from, my, from my experience, they always put standing orders in for uh, fast less than 1.9 mm. so it works as a buffer for acid it, cre- it creates um, base balances aids in muscle neurological and platelet function so hyperphosphatema i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right it's above 4.5 it might be causing confusion hyperactive reflexes again muscle spasms and you're gonna have positive um trosi- Dude, i can't even pronounce those two Dude, bro. i know man I, i'm gonna, I'm gonna skip that and i'm gonna skip it because even if i told you when you're a real nurse, you're not going to even do both of these signs. You're going to just check a lab calcium and you're good to go. True. Or even lab, uh, I'm sorry, lab calcium and lab phos, because these are both prevalent to those signs. Well, it's on the NCLEX, dude. You should try and pronounce those two words. Oh, man. Don't put me on the spot right I got to, man. I tried to pronounce them. I butchered them. You're not going to do any worse, dude. Positive troceus and chivostex. I'm about to go on Google and fact check myself, but... Treatment. Uh, we're going to uh, get medication called FOSLO, which actually bond, binds to phosphate, and it gets removed via stool or dialysis. Um, hypophosphatemia is uh, less than 2.8. It could cause respiratory depression, rhabdo, osteomalacia, which is weakened bones, irritability, decreased platelet aggregation, and immune suppression. Treatment. Usually we give some um, IV vitamin D or just regular vitamin D with this to replace that. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, phosphorus, like, when I looked this up, I didn't know phosphorus plays this much, this much roles in the body. Like, I just thought it was inversely proportional to, um, calcium, you know, phosphorus, you need phosphorus, calcium goes, goes into bones and then, then vice versa, but it, it's pretty fucking crucial. Yeah, sometimes you're just so busy that you have no time to do this extra mm-hmm. research, but clearly it has to do with respiratory depression. So it makes sense. We have patients on ventilators. We want this electrolyte to be replaced. Right, Exactly. Next, we're going to go on to our liver enzymes, the ALT and AST. So ALT, um, I forgot what it stands for. I had a, I remembered it a couple hours ago when I was going to say it on a podcast, but I completely forgot what the fuck it stands for. But ALT, AST is what it shows up on your, on your uh, lab review. Normal ALT is anywhere from 29 to 33 units per liter for males, anywhere from 19 to 25 units per liter for females. Plays a big role in liver function. We use it as a liver function test, and it's used to evaluate the liver. Higher the concentration, the more liver damage there is. Uh, but the interesting thing about it, when I looked it up, it's actually found in the highest concentrations in the liver, 
but it's also found in the kidneys, the heart, the spleen, the pancreas, RBCs, and skeletal muscle. So it's actually, actually pretty interesting because I always thought ALTST is just found in the liver. But it just shows you that white people have, have high, high ALT and high AST, it affects more parts of the body. When they have a very elevated ALT, AST for a long time, they usually go into organ failure. Not just liver, but they also go into kidney failure and, and the heart failure goes wow. on to that. You get into portal hypertension and then now you realize why it's so important. And it makes sense because, you know, it also affects RBCs. And if you have improper RBC formation, it's going to affect everything, everything else in your body. Else. Right. So uh, it's a very sensitive test. Um, it's going to basically be our rationale uh, to assess for liver disease and liver damage. It's that simple. Uh, AST, like there's no low low range for ALT. It's just going to be elevated, you know, unlike compared to the, like electrolytes. So for AST, same. It's another liver enzyme that we use to, to look at for liver function. Normal range is anywhere from 20 to 40 units per liter for males, anywhere from 15 to 30 units per liter for females. So AST is an enzyme catalyst that is part of the Krebs cycle, which helps make ATP. I didn't know that one either. So look at that. We're all learning here. And AST exists in... <laughs> so funny, yeah, man. Right? Such sarcasm. Continue. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious, dude. Like when I was doing research, I'm just like, God damn, it's like... It's, it's a great thing. refresher, man, because like yeah. as, as a nurse, you're just... You see these numbers and that's all that means to you. Mm-hmm. They're good. You just keep on going with your shift, you know, and right. here you're actually understanding and it's making you a better nurse. Yeah. And then AST also exists in the most abundant amounts in the liver, but also is present in myocardial cells, in the skeletal muscle, kidneys, pancreas, brain, and also RBCs. And same with ALT, it's another indicator that we use for cellular damage in, in the liver, which if your AST is high, your ALT is usually high as well. And then you're probably going to, you know, if that's not treated, you're probably going to go into liver failure at some point. True. Yeah. Fun fact: If you are, if you get total parental, if you're getting TPN, uh, remember that it causes liver damage. So if you have your patient on TPN, make sure you're watching the ALT AST. If it's getting elevated, we got to do something else, man. Get this guy walking. Get this guy awake. Maybe do two feedings. But he's on TPN for a reason. So yeah, TPN is great because we learned how to give nutrition to a, a person just through, through the vein without the yeah, GI tract. Yeah. Without the GI tract. But like a lot of things, that's not the way we're programmed to live. Right. So it's not sustainable for a very long time. And if you're on, you can't be on TPN for life because you're going to die. You can't, it's not, like you can be on TPN for a year. It's not, it's not how it works. You can be on it for a few weeks, maybe a month. You know, it's, you can't be on there for very long. Cause like Matt said, it's going to destroy your liver. And then if your liver doesn't work, guess what's the biggest filter in your, in your one of the biggest filters in your, in your body. To fill the yeah. And I've mostly seen them in when I work like ortho for the GI cases, you know, whenever you do like, um, like the Whipple procedure, like you just get a freaking ton of your, you know, colon removed or something. They start the patient's TPN instead, you know, cause they have to rest the bowel. And also in the ICU, if there's something going on, if they're paralyzed and you know, they're like, prone to whatever for x amount of days they'll they'll get them going on tpn the next one is on creatinine regular range is 0.6 to 1.2 it is a byproduct that's produced as um as energy to contract i'm sorry it is uh, needed to produce the energy to contract your muscles it's also something that the kidney is normally filtering as a substance and that's the indicator that we use um and if you have a high creatinine level that's basically showing problems with the kidney function and your glo- your glomules, the cells that are producing the urine are doing a poor job. Yeah. And it's basically indicative of, of glomerulus, glomerulus damage. Fucking these words, dude. We're having a hard Doesn't time. Doesn't help that we're fucking Polish either, man. Oh, it sucks that we're foreign because we're... 
yeah, you know, Pol- I mean, English is our first language, and then we got to like learn how to pronounce these. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I struggle with too at the hospital, man. It's like talking to these docs sometimes, not trying to sound like a big fool. ass words. And I'm just like, yeah, not trying to sound like a fool and being foreign. It's like, yeah, dude, it's you know, English is my second language, and I got to use all this medical terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, big things with creatinine is you want to monitor it all the time when you're giving very sensitive meds, like let's just say vancomycin, right? it could cause a lot of damage to the body, right? Kidney function. So we're always doing vancal troughs on that. We always want to make sure that the vancal troughs aren't too critical, especially with the, you know high creatinine. Or if they're going down a CT scan, we want to make sure the creatinine is within range because you know the dye, contrast dye, especially if it's IV, could affect your kidneys. Yeah, even electrolytes. Let's say someone has a potassium of like three, right? And you're thinking, you know, usually when potassium is three, usually 40 does a trick. But if their creatinine's like, 1.92, you're probably better off giving them 20 and then rechecking the lights because they're not going to be able to to um, excrete the potassium as efficiently as someone with a regular creatinine level, right? Exactly. And usually if patients that have like high creatinine levels, there's going to be a nephrologist on board and some hospitals have potassium protocols. Sometimes these protocols will be removed when a patient is high creatinine and the kidney doctor will manage everything. Yeah. Uh, just like you know, I learned when I worked a couple of days ago is I gave my patients some, um, I think I gave like 38 mil equivalents. And I'm like, you know, doc, you want to give a little bit more Lasix maybe? Like his creatinine is you know, decent. We got a diuresome because the CVP was 25. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know what? I'll just do you know, one dose and she'll just you know, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Another thing that we look at with, with creatinine, we look at B1, which measures the blood urea nitrogen um, in your blood. Normal range is between 7 and 21 milligrams per, I think, deciliter. DL, right? Deciliter? Yes. Seems legit. Uh, basically, same with creatinine. It shows us the kidney function. If it's elevated, that's, that's a concern because it can show kidney failure. It could show that patient is in shock, and it could also be indicative of, of heart failure. So, yeah, those are two important ones to look at for kidney function. It's, if it's elevated, something's going on with the kidneys. Are they in AKI? Have they been chronically elevated because of CKD? You know, it's something you got to figure out. Yeah, sometimes a patient will be hypovolemic for X amount of days or uh, we intentionally do it maybe by accident. Yeah, but you want creatinine is going to go up. You know, same thing if you're pushing Lasix. You got to be careful because Lasix works. You're over-diuresing. Hey, your creatinine is going to start climbing up or when they're on a Bumex drip, right? Yeah, because it does, it puts a higher workload on your kidneys and sometimes our kidneys aren't healthy enough to, you know, take on all the Lasix and, and diurese that much, you know, urine with that amount of time. Freaking electrolytes, man. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it's just beautiful thinking about this and how like intricate the body is. You know, like you're literally a electrical conductive system in the human body. You're trying to maintain, maintain voltages. You're ma- maintaining fluid shifting, fluid mm-hmm. volume, acid base on ABGs with all these electrolytes. And now we're going to get into anticoagulants, which is coagulations when it comes to PEs or when it comes to you know, Coumadin, Coumadin, Warfarin, like Lovenox, like that's, that's a whole nother thing. You know, you got AFib, now you want their INR to be elevated. Um, you could be, you know, be potential for high risk of, you know, like, you know, having a, what's the other one? Coumadin. I'm trying to, th- what's the other one? that Aliquis. Aliquis. Yeah. I haven't seen it often because of, you know, we have all these COVID patients. Mm-hmm. You got to be careful. You fall, you might be, you know, bleeding out. And that's like the saddest thing with when it comes to anticoagulations is like, you have these patients that always fall in nursing homes and something like that. And they come into the ICU and they have brain bleeds. Yeah. We can't do anything about it. And usually it's because of just anticoagulants. Mm. And it's, it's like, a sad truth, man. Yeah, you got to find a fine balance because 
you don't want them on too much anticoagulation because they're at a super high risk for bleed. But then again, if you don't put them on anticoagulation, they're at a very high risk for getting a clot, you know? So what's, you got, as a doctor or a physician or anybody out there that, you know, prescribes this, you have to, you're playing a vital role between is a patient at higher risk for a fall or an injury that's going to cause a bleed and they're going to die that way? Or are they higher risk for throwing a clot or a pee or anything like that, or, you know, a stroke? It's, yep. it's crazy, man. I mean, the benefits outweigh, outweigh the risks when you're outside of the hospital, but when you're in, like you can't operate. Sometimes the surgery gets delayed because it takes like five days before Aliquist, like, you know, technically leaves the system. Mm -hmm. It just creates a lot of issues, you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to anticoagulants. Uh, regular range for PT is um, anywhere from 10 to 12 seconds. Where uh, This is regarding a clotting factor. And then we have INR, which is a regular range 0 0.9 to 1.1. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also PTT, which is um, another great one. So, um, and there's also another one like anti-XA. So it depends on what hospital you're at. Sometimes when you, let's just say you're managing a heparin drip, you're going to do um, PTT. But sometimes in other hospitals, they do anti-XA, which is uh, just another, um, another uh, what, like a lab value they check when it comes to the clotting uh, mm -hmm. cascade, right, mm -hmm. that they check. And supposedly that one is more accurate in, uh, instead of the PTT. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's cool because I actually looked into the PT and, and INR, and this actually assesses the extrinsic and common pathways so basically, this allows you to, to see how fast a prothrombin gets turned into the thrombin, right? So extrinsic pathway, that's a clot formation that is activated when there is external injury resulting in blood loss. Intrinsic is clot formation is activated when there is internal injury. So it's interesting how one mechanism gets activated if there's damage coming from the outside that's causing bleeding and different mechanism gets activated when there's internal bleeding going on. And then the, the common pathway is where the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways meet to form the actual clot. And these, in simple terms, these lab values tell you how quickly your blood is going to clot. Obviously, the higher number, the longer it takes for your body to clot, the more bleeding risk you have. In layman's terms. In layman's terms, yeah. And also, I wanted to say something about heparin still. And like sometimes we give you these uh, lab ranges, but there's going to be different goals that are going to be set in place. For example, you have a patient on a heparin drip and the goal range will be 60 to 90 instead of like, let's just say 21 to, you know, 25. Mm. So everything just changes in the hospital. It gets a little bit different. Yeah. And plus there's protocols. There's like, the, there's different um, strengths of it. Are they, I can't forget the top of my head, but you know, the heparin dosages, there's like the low dose, the moderate dose and yeah. the high dose. And there's the cardiac dose. You know, so that depends on protocols. Where the only, the only difference between protocols is the therapeutic PTT range. Obviously, the more intensity there is, the higher the PTT is, is going to be. So more room for clotting. Or yeah. Less room for clotting, more room for bleeding. And these are like like top nine maybe that we kind of like picked out that are very important. And like the list could go on. We could list so much things like ABG-wise. You know, lactics are another one that we check when it comes to, you know, sepsis. Like you have procalcitonin, which... Now people, you know, doctors and physicians, they kind of geared away from lactic acid as much checking for sepsis. Now they check procalcitonin. Like there's just so many other lab values that are interesting. Yeah. These are like the nine basic ones that, that everybody should know, I feel like, for every unit. Yeah. Standard. For example, like, you know, the ACH, when they check the cortisol levels in mm -hmm. the morning, like my patient had TB and they're like, oh, you know, like he's hypotensive. I wonder where like the TB is like, let's check the ACH level in the morning. Maybe he has um, TB, you know, tuberculosis in his like adrenal glands. I'm like, what? Like, right? yeah, there's just like, 
this is why another thing I love days is just like the, the knowledge you're talking, you know, you're just like talking to physicians. It's just like, you know, there's a bunch of residents too, by the way. So they're like, he's teaching them things. You just have to like, listen and you like learn a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's cool. Cause there was some teaching going on. There was, a, there was a resident or I don't know who it was, but there's three people there. I'm not sure who was a resident and, and, and who was who, but they were all like bouncing these off each other. And I was trying to listen, but then I was like, I had families to deal with and I was just catching like small parts of the conversation. They're like comparing ideas and it was cool to see that, you know? Yeah, I'm one, not sure who was right and who was wrong, but. Yeah, I was talking to one of the ICU physicians and he was upset because like there's no protocols in his hospital that we work at. So it's super annoying because if potassium is 3.4, like I don't got to call the doctor for something so damn silly. I I all I know I need like twenty mil equivalents just to replace it, mm. and they don't do that here. So you just have to call for him, and he just gets annoyed by it. Some have PRNs though; they don't have put like my patient had PRN potassium and magnesium, and I would just replace it according to the parameters. No way! Yeah. It's not actually protocol; just efficient orders of PRN. I guess not everybody orders it, but I know in Chicago we had protocols for lights. Everyone would order. We never call for lights because yeah. they'd always be covered, unless they had like a like you said, unless they were on dialysis and had a high cran. Yeah, and th and this is where it comes with like travel nursing, the policies and procedures. Because I use Cerner where there was protocols, but they didn't like there was care sets that they activated in Cerner. Mm. So see, there's just different. There's different versions of these uh, medical systems, these EMRs, and they just modify based on like how the hospital does it. Yeah. Same same thing with like the like here, like they wedge, you know, for the swans. That's cool. That's cool. The reason why I'm still chatting is, we, you know, we're only 35 minutes in, bro. That's okay. It's so 35 minutes of knowledge, one. dude. Yeah, this was a very jam-packed episode, like, just full of, like, learning. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this one and had some value wherever you're driving, wherever you're listening, or maybe mowing the lawn, working out, whatever keeps you guys hustling, man. Thank you guys for listening. Yep. See you guys. Take care. See you next week. Peace. Bye-bye.